0: Detroit is different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at Detroitisdifferent.com today. All right, all right. So welcome to the State of Black Detroit 2022. This is a virtual event. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and everything that we're doing here. You know, we appreciate all the support of detroit is different in what we've done this is to support the community group of what detroit is different is my name is Kari way frazier uh you were hearing some of my music how a lot of people knew me in the beginning and now people know me more so as a person that tells stories these stories are connected to a narrative Uh, i think that people And their journey and how they connect to different things are what connect us all. So it's very important that we have personal narratives to connect us to larger things. Those personal narratives that connect us to larger things is why Detroit is Different exists. Detroit is Different is a hub of many people that tell all types of stories. All these stories are for a platform, especially for Black voices to express ourselves about different things, our beliefs, our our perspectives, our points of view, and the things that are on our heart and the things that are on our mind to move us forward. And today, as we start off for January 1st, 2022, I welcome you to A State of Black Detroit Address by Yusef Bunchy Shakur. We've done this before. It was years back. I can't even really remember the year. I want to say 2014. It was at 90s Knowledge Cafe. That was back when it was off Woodward, and uh, it was a very special event then. And now we're looking to continue this Event moving forward every year annually with Youssef Bunchy Shakur. As Youssef has uh, done his different work, he's an author, he's a father, he's a community organizer, and activist, and uh, one of my friends. Uh, his uh, first book, Window to My Soul, is something that's very deep, very precious, and an asset I think that you should have, especially if you have a son, a young black son. This is something that you need to buy, get in their hands for them to read, just learn his story of living here in this Zone 8 neighborhood and starting off organizing with the Gang Zone 8, and now he organizes for families. He organizes on behalf of African people, Black people, uh, just the community, and advocating for that, bringing the neighbor back to the hood, you know? So now we have neighborly neighbors instead of just straight-up hood neighbors, uh, just due to those conditions. And when we speak about those conditions, we're going to talk about Black Detroit. So Black Detroit 2 me as a definition and where we're coming from is the legacy of Detroiters. It's the resilience of the people here for that creativity to exist. Black Detroit is a connection of people even beyond what Detroit is. It's the people that connect to and come to Detroit. So we think of those legacies of uh, the greats, Dinah Washington, Joe Lewis, Isaiah Thomas, uh, these people that have traveled here and then connect to this Detroit story. Those are more celebrity folks. But then it's other people. You know, we think about Martha Jean, the queen for the voice of many people on the pulse of Detroit and many others that have connected to this story of what Detroit means. And Detroit, to me, is a place where that culture and the creativity of what black America is has flourished and come to life. Uh, you know, you've been watching all month If you follow Detroit is different Me telling different stories And connecting different stories Yusuf Bunchy Shakur is the most recent uh, Many people have watched uh, What we've done in, in, in my headline Of uh, how Henry Ford is gentrifying This neighborhood right now And uh, his perspective on that And uh, how a family home Is now being uh, planned out And urban planned away Because of the efforts of Henry Ford Hospital But that Neglects what Black Detroit re- represents. Also, you have the story of my father, Greg Frazier, and his story connecting to the city of Detroit, uh, starting off in General Motors and then Burroughs, uh, and and then extending expanding into his own entrepreneurial journey. Uh, one of my best friends, Michael Willingham, who is going to design the Detroit is Different NFT. Uh, and what he does with jewelry and different design. You also had the story of Baba Malik Yakini. And uh, we went back and forth a little bit about capitalism and what exists, but more so about resources. And that's what we're going to talk about today as Yusuf Bunchy Shakur will give this fruitful address. Uh, And I thank you all for definitely tuning in and catching and watching what we're going to create here. So when we think about Black Detroit, like I say, I think creativity, I think culture, and I think our people. So that's definitely community. Creativity, culture, community, those are the pillars of what I think are Black Detroit and the legacy to pass on in transition as we grow. Uh, One of the tough things is many people inside Black Detroit feel that they're trapped. They don't they don't see those opportunities. So in this address, we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to also talk about housing. We're going to talk about education, justice, economics, access to opportunity and legacy. This is the premise of what we're talking about. As we recognize this is the final day of Kwanzaa, the first fruit celebration as a people, uh, black people here in America. It's good to recognize and think about a lot of this. So on this day of Imani faith, the last day of Kwanzaa, we start off the year 2022 and we're talking black Detroit. And this is going to be a legacy that continues. Please, if you have the opportunity, make sure you give. To the Detroit is different community group and all of our efforts, you see everything scrolling across the bottom. You know, feel free to give to Cash App or PayPal and just support what we're doing with this vision and this mission. Thank you so much. And thank you for starting your year with us for the State of Black Detroit address. And now, with that being said, I'm going to pass over to Yusuf Bunchy Shakur.
1: That helped nurture and develop a Black Detroit, and I think you know, Kari and, and myself didn't have a deep conversation around what's the importance of a of a Black state of Black Detroit address. And I think that's the, the importance, the essence of this conversation. Um, I've done something similar like this, what we what we call the the state the, the state of the neighborhood address. And so, as I repeated, like in times like this, so to understand Black Detroit is to take a step back. You know, as Kari acknowledged, his his father, right. Uh, his, his father's parents, you know, as me acknowledging my grandmother, Mary Mary Lee, my, my other grandmother, Minnie Lee, my grandfather, James, and, and Walter, their way of Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, many of our, our, our elders come from the South. And they began to migrate to, to the Midwest, um, Detroit particular, through the 1950s, all the way up to, to the 1970s. Why? Why do they they migrate? They migrated for the for the purpose of running, escaping uh, white domination, white terrorism in the South. To only f- face it up here, um, it was a different type of white domination, the white terrorism. But it presented a, a, a economic opportunity through the many uh, factories that our parents, our grandparents began to, began to work in. And you know, one of one of the topics is, is around economics, right? But to understand, like we try to get to economics and and to unpack economics, we're talking about money. Let's just call it what it is. But if if the money idea is not governed by love, it's not governed by care, we know, as as the old saying, no money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil itself. It becomes evil as a result in a capitalist society. When I say capitalist, I'm talking about an a, a economic system that puts a premium on on those who have the opportunity to determine what the value of something is. Everybody else is just a consumer from that from that basis on. But overstaying the economics from a black perspective, as our not all of our our, our elders, my um, family member was able to get on that that train, that bus or fit in that car to come make it to Detroit, Michigan. So maybe our grandfather, maybe our, our his brother and his, his, his uncle or someone, you know, came and, and they got situated. They got the working, they got the hustling and whatever they needed to do, but also in there where we we've, we've we've forgotten, they sent money back down south. They sent money back down south to help sustain the family, but also to create opportunities to bring the family here. So the economics was not about the individual per se. Now, you know, granddaddy may went to the juke joint. You know, granddaddy, you know, may went went to the bar, or, you know, he may have, you know, did a little trick and whatever. You know, who knows? But but he never, or they never, or she never took their eyes off the prize. Why? Because the money was not determined for the individual. The money was determined for for the collective. And so as we began to migrate to Detroit, you know, we began. You know, it was a few of us. It became hundreds of us. Then it became thousands of us, right? And, and in Detroit, 1967 is a landmark. July, I think it's 20, July 28, July 29th, 1967. The landmark is what white people call the rebellion. I mean, the riot, black people call the rebellion. However, prior, prior to this, this situation that exploded in Detroit, white people began to move out of was moving slowly but surely out of black neighborhoods, or, or, or their neighborhoods, which was predominantly white neighborhood. A lot of people hear me talk about Zone 8. No one ever asked me besides the fact that I was a gang member in Zone 8, one of the guys that helped start the gang, Zone 8. But beyond that, why Zone 8 is so significant to me? Because the house that we live in, my mother still lives in, my grandfather bought in 1952. My grandfather bought in 1952. So again, if you know the history of being black, right, the transition of, of, of working for someone to working for yourself, to living in someone else's house, to now you're in a position to own your own house, right? That was powerful for me as a little boy growing up, up under those circumstances, the, the land that I, I played on, the porch that I sat on, my grandfather owned. It meant, it, it meant everything to me. It gave, it gave me pride. Like all pride is not bad. Like there, there is a such thing as good pride, right? And that, and that was one aspect of it. So that's why Zone 8 is so significant to me from a legacy, from a family tradition, right? And many of us have this same type of legacy in Detroit, but the seeds we've, we've, um, or those seeds have evaporated to the fact that you know, we're we're selling grandma house or we sold granddaddy house because we've bought into this notion. Of, of assimilating uh, and assimilating has evaporated the roots of who we are. It has evaporated the roots of who we are. So getting back, so this is the foundation, right? So sixty-seven white folks are already developing or laying the foundation for white for white flight. Sixty-seven hit white flight becomes the modern day movements, similar to us coming to to um, Detroit. You know, they began to migrate into the suburbs, right, as they migrate in the suburbs, Detroit changed, the the landscape changes, this is where Detroit becomes Black Detroit, by default, I repeat, Detroit became Black Detroit by default, right, however, you you had folks organized, you had folks doing a lot of phenomenal, incredible things, Um, again, we can't talk about Black Detroit without talking about you no, know, Reverend uh, Albert Clee, you no, know, the founder of the Shrine of Black Madonna. Like, there's, there's probably nobody or a family in Detroit that has not been impacted by the Shrine of Black Madonna, right? And when you immediately think about it, you probably say, no. Nah. But if you go deep, um, I mean, so many of our family members, so many of our neighbors had joined that church because they was everywhere. You know, they 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 was doing a lot of different things. But not only doing that, they also was working with other people. You know, they, they was working with James and Grace Lee Boggs. They was working with the Henry brothers. Um, they 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 founded what what became to be known as the Grassroots Leadership Conference, that was founded in, in in 1963. This is where Malcolm comes to Detroit and gives the famous lecture, what we all know as Message to the Grassroots, which was literally right around the corner from where we're at now, at King Solomon Church. And this, this message was a re- result of a split. The split occurred between uh, Aretha Frankenfather, who was who was trying to organize a civil rights organization in, in, the, in the north, particularly having Detroit as the home base. And the split occurred because he wanted to follow in the same tradition of, of, of Martin Luther King at that time and others of having a nonviolent stance. Where you know Jimmy, the Henry brothers, who ultimately developed what was called um, Go, at the time they was organizing out of an organization called GO. Um, they they ultimately at the, after the assassination of Malcolm X, they founded what was called the Malcolm X Society. And in March thirty, you know, March twenty eighth, they end up helping uh, with others found what, what became known as the Republican New Africa here in Detroit. So you had these very revolutionary, very militant. Same with what we know Reverend Clee was very militant, right? So this split occurred. And this split was a was a temperature of a lot of folks in Detroit. But also what we when, oh in examining that split, we see still today when you had the less of the, the least of, of those of us who were struggling on the ground, who didn't have economic opportunities, who who were struggling around housing, who were struggling around justice, or, or the lack of justice, the lack of opportunities, who was on the ground level, and then you had, you know, uh Reverend Franklin and others who was who who had assimilated into uh, uh, Detroit and the other aspect of having opportunities, right? But but they was they was promoting a certain narrative that supported the opportunities that was granted to them, and this is so sophisticated because this is a pattern that continues to happen in the past and and, and in the present, and also another organization. Again, you know, again, we, you know, we can't. Uh, we'll be dis- remissive we didn't mention which was. The League of Black Revolutionary Workers, you know, here's a book, um, Detroit I Do My Die, and all these folks was working and organizing, right? and, and many of these folks was, was at the cornerstone, and there's so many other people whose names get un, unmentioned in, in this, this type of talk, but who was at the ground level of help formulating, and more importantly, the ground level, it represented the heart and spirit of, of Detroiters, black Detroiters. And the, and the distinction is it's around the struggle the struggle of liberation the struggle of freedom you know some of us call it equality or some of us call it uh, call it uh, equity and, and things of that nature right it's different names but fundamentally at its at its base it was about it was a freedom struggle and black people and embrace that why because it wasn't a new struggle it was a continuation of what we faced in in the south it just looked different in the north because the enemy was different in terms of the, the, the clash of, of how white people thought and function here here in Michigan versus how white people thought and function in Alabama or Mississippi, right? But this, I mean, fundamentally, this the same tactics, right? And without that understanding, we don't understand the importance of black, what many of us grew up in, a predominantly black city. This is the foundation. So coming into the 70s, these factories' jobs are no longer... Presenting opportunities to purchase homes, presenting opportunities to be the, the breadwick of, of the family. But what we've lost in in that transition of coming from the south and coming coming to the north is the cornerstone of being black, being African. Like black and African is the same. Black and African is the same, right? And, and what I mean by that is we are we are descended of African people thats is that. That is ultimately our nationality. It doesn't make us an, an African because we wasn't, or less African because we wasn't born in Africa. Like Malcolm said, and when I say Malcolm, I'm talking about Malcolm X. Malcolm thought he once said, like you know, we hate Africa, but they love Africa, and, and the they is white people. Like they tell us not to go there, but they're there. Why? Because they continue They continue to figure how to stay in power. They continued to figure how to to steal the resources. Out of Africa, out of certain countries, right, and and keep and position themselves to oversee, right, and so when you when you connect those dots and understanding those transitions and and those qualities and of values, that thought process was what many of us call the Southern way. You know, we go down south and they man they speak to us, hey, they, the hospi- hospitality, and that's what I mean. That, but we lost that, and we lost that in the hustle, we lost that in the struggle of trying to figure out how to how to maintain and, and this is where we underestimate the environment and how the environment plays such a crucial role so so the environment in the south made us be more nurturing and more loving and more caring and more thoughtful like poverty was never a reason to not love each other to not support each other. Poverty and racism was the reason why we did love each other, why we did support each other, why we did protect each other, because we knew when our mothers walked down the street at a certain time that they potentially could be raped, they potentially can be beat. So either we we, we watched them as they walked down the street or we met them somewhere. We knew that our fathers had faced their own their own form of, of oppression, right? So there, there was never... A confusion about being oppressed. There was never this oppressive dynamics where, where we're competing with each other. Um, we were still learning those dynamics, but however, we knew we all faced a level of oppression for one being black, for our ideology, for our gender, across men and women, and as well as based upon our sexuality. And so when you come in the foundation of coming into Detroit, into the 70s, and we transition to the 80s, shit has just collapsed. It collapsed to the point where, you know, the drug trafficking comes in. The drug, you know, you already had heroin that that, that infiltrated the black communities, but it, it doesn't have the same impact when crack cocaine comes. No, you know, you know i I always say that Heron put us to sleep. When Heron put us to sleep, crack cocaine came and and, and, and wake it. It was like a Mike Tyson blow. He just knocked the shit out of us, right? But what we don't always say with crack cocaine in the in the drug trafficking period. It was the new economic opportunity, you know. Again, this this is where we don't we we don't connect capitalism in a sense. And, and then, like whatever wherever you land on capitalism, I'm gonna just frame it this way: capitalism as an economic opportunity. That's what the drug trafficking became. It became an economic opportunity through heroin, through crack cocaine, right? But what we don't examine is that economic opportunity led to what? It led to further destruction of black bodies, of black minds, and black spirits. To help you understand that point, for me to, you know, growing up in the 80s and you know, in the shadows of a YBI, Young Boys Incorporated. Growing up in the 80s in the shadows of a, a, a chamber brothers, you know, another you know, on the east side, the best friends. I mean, many of these, these drug, black drug organizations. That are, that are illuminating through the streets, that are illuminating through Detroit, right? And these are, are, these, these are the Michael Jordans. These are the Oprah referees that are being placed in front of us. You're like, shit, I want to be like him. And to be more exact, on my corner, there was Big Daddy. I wanted to be like Big Daddy, who drove a nice-ass El Dorado, who, had, who owned stores throughout the neighborhood, right? But to be like Big Daddy, I had to not give a fuck. I repeat, to be like Big Daddy, I had to not give a fuck. To sell dope, you had to not give a fuck. To rob, you had you you had not to give a fuck. That became your methodology to trying to, to pursue economic um, wealth in this country, or particularly in this city. As a result of that methodology, leads to destruction, mass destruction. That mass destruction is ultimately turned into selling dope to my best friend's mother. That mass destruction ultimately is turned into tricking with my best friend's sister. I mean this is the devastation and going inside and looking at the devastation when crap becomes king. But in that same process black folks who 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 had economic opportunities are feeling the pain as well. The pain of my mother turns into a crack crack at it. My father ultimately goes to prison. Right? I get an opportunity, I graduate from CAS. I graduate from Renaissance, I graduate from Northwestern, I get a job, um, man, I'm on the next thing smoking. I'm out this bitch. And leaving, we lost our way of how staying connected to each other, because in every problem, we faced it. In particular, this problem, we ran from it. And so in running from it, the neighborhoods changed Dramat- dramatically, and it changed from being a neighborhood, right, to being a hood. And in the hood, the things that we began to take pride in was negative stuff. It was, it was, it was the auto survival became the cornerstone, right? In uh, the in the word hood became a, a code word, right, for being black. And it and, and it has evolved and changed over the years from being black to being tough to being gangster. And we un- underestimate. The, the self destruction in the hood. We underestimate the undevelopmentness that's in the hood. We see it, but we we we've, we've, we've um, separated ourselves from that. You know, Dr. Carl Taylor, you know, former uh, professor at Michigan State University, he describes it as the third city. Right, the third city is 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 in comparison what we know globally as third world conditions. We see the suffering. We see the lack of. Outside of the United States, but we we don't necessarily apply that same analysis. Right. And so what I've done was taking what Carl and built on that. So Detroit as an urban city is a third city. But inside the third city, you have third world neighborhoods. Zone eight, mackin and B Loonwood. Right. And there's an external responsibility, which is lays on. The, the city government, but then there's internal responsibility. Well, again, where we, where we fled, right? And I'm, I'm not condemning people for fleeting because the first law of nature is to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. But it's, it's in that vein, in that thought process, that it became a counterbalance to being able to love each other, to support each other. Because when we had less, we did more for each other. Now that we have more or the perception of more, we do less for each other, right? And this is where again connecting the dots, where education is so important. And that education, the miseducation of the Negro, right? And to understand, as as I mentioned earlier, is like the individual I talked about, their leadership was different than the leadership that we see now. The leadership that we've experienced over the last 50 and 40 years. And that leadership was what what Dr. Carter G. Woodson said. A true leader is one who's not who sits on the top of the mountain, who comes parachutes in. A true leader is one that lives with the people, that eats with the people, that talks with the people, that walks with the people. That's what leadership looks like. That's the definition of black leadership. It has to be. Anything else than that is bullshit. Anything less than that is bullshit. You cannot serve something that you are not connected to. You cannot serve something that you not that you do not authentically love. Chokeweet Lumumba once said, if you don't love the people, you will betray the people. And we see a lot of goddamn betraying going on nowadays. We see a lot of goddamn betraying going on nowadays. And we wonder why the young the young people say, I'm just trying to get the bag. I just want the bag. The bag has become our eyes on the prize. And so, as I repeated earlier, if, we're, if our goal is to get the bag, and you're willing to do, do whatever to get the bag, what do you think the outcome will become? Is what we see in modern day, present Detroit. The, the lack of access to opportunities and resources is a result of this confusion, the result of chasing this bag. And so you look at you know the economic opportunities in Detroit, and particular um in, in in the neighborhoods or what, what we identify as hood, most of them are, are 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 surviving off of crumbs. You know, they're surviving off check to check. It's, it's, it's beyond check to check. It's 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 off fumes, right? But also, then you have this ton of money that's coming in through corporations. You have this ton of money that's coming in through nonprofits. But how much of that money is getting down to the people? Not a lot of it. And this is where white supremacy, as, as a methodology, right? So, white supremacy, as a definition, it, it is being defined as a thinking disorder of European people. I repeat. White supremacy is a thinking disorder of, of white people. It is a reflection of the inferiority complex. It's nothing superior, but the supremacy is, is, is in terms of the, them trying to be dominant. And they position themselves to be dominant because of the they engaged in a war. And they defeated us. They defeated other people. And then, out out of that war, they allowed for us to participate. So, you—I mean, no one can ever conquer you and give you your freedom. It doesn't—it—it—it it, 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 it will never be freedom. There's there's no such thing as someone giving you your freedom. You take you you take back what is yours. You earn that through battle, because why? It brings a certain level of pride. It allows you to restore what was taken from you, and that's where again it helps us understand the destruction. Of the black civilization. And as, so, as we connect the destruction of the black civilization, we're talking about the destruction of our minds. And so, in so reclaiming our minds, we have to examine the structures that we, we function in. And one particular structure is like black history. Like slavery is not black history, slavery is American history. How black people responded to slavery is black history. Which was resistance, which was developing ourselves despite of. And to illustrate my point, the white Jews, they've done a great job in doing this. Malcolm X said white people can teach us a lot if we sit and we critically examine them. And what I mean by white Jews, like, when they when, when they talk about the Holocaust, it's, no, it's, it's not from someone else's perspective. It's not someone else's narrative. It is that it is their own narrative about the Holocaust. It is, it is their resistance. It is how they develop themselves out of that experience, right? But more importantly, their motto, their mantra is that would never happen to us again. That is why they have embraced it in the way they have. and we have not taken that same type of lesson to what folks call slavery. Because we had to go beyond slavery and go to colonization, right? And, and and in the modern time we talk about anti-blackness, but to overstand anti-blackness, we had to first overstand anti-African. It was out of that that emerged in, in, the modern, in the modern world, anti-blackness. So what I mean by that, right? So when white people, the Portuguese, the British, and etc. begins to Come to Africa. They already know what they're coming for, man. They shit. They got they got they got gold, they got silver, they got ivory. And more importantly, these motherfuckers, they they physically strong. Like we can we can use the use that labor for something, right? So they got a game plan. But to 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 make this work, to sell this back to that people, they had to create a narrative. And that narrative was that we 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 was heathens, that we was pagans, that we was less than human beings. That we was uncivilized. That is the narrative that they've created because we dressed a certain way. We talked different. And, and you fast forward it, those same dynamics that we're still trying to overcome. So I remember as a child, the worst thing that you could have called me or my friends was an African booty structure. And I think that for, for most generations, and probably still to this day, but why? Because the negative concept that we had around Africa, like you know, I mean, for every generation, we all sat and watched Tarzan. Some some white kid grows up in the African jungles and conquers the natives, the uncivilized, conquers the animals, right? This, this is the brainwashing that we go through. So fundamentally, part of the state of black Detroit is to understand who we are as black people connected to our African heritage, right? And once we understand that, no way in hell a Mike Duggan becomes the mayor of black Detroit. I repeat, if we understand truly who we are and we accept and then we embrace that, no way in hell a Mike Duggan becomes a mayor of a predominantly black city. Right? I remember you know, when he first ran and won, I, I joked, or I made the statement, which was a joke, I'm going I'm to move to Livonia and run for mayor. It didn't matter if it was white, if it was black, if it was purple. Everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. Why did they laugh? Because there was a form of anti-blackness. And that form of anti-blackness is no way in hell with a black man, a black woman, a black LGBTQ person, no black child, no black anything, whatever, whatever have the opportunity or the right to, you know, you can run But you will never be elected as a mayor of Livonia. And I I get it. For black folks, we've never taken that position, wholeheartedly, where we hate white people. But we have to take the position, particularly when you you look at a Duggan who comes out of being a, a prosecutor, you know, he represents white corporations. He represents a different level of, of an interest. He didn't homegrown, come out of, out, of, out of black bottom or, or nothing like that. So it can allow us to even consider it. And, and this is where like this social justice um, language, this social justice la- la- landscape. So, I mean, you even having in Detroit, you have social justice organization gentrifying in black communities. I repeat, you have social justice organizations gentrifying in black communities. They're, they're, they're knocking us off by hiring a few of us and putting us in, in, in positions, but the, the philosophy, the ideology and whatnot is controlled and manipulated by, by, by white people, right? And what we have to do is we have to sit down. We have to close our ranks. We have to have deeper conversations because all these things are a tool, And how do we use these tools to be able to manifest our liberation? How do we manifest to creating and sustaining? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if we don't change the landscape in in poor black Detroit, in the the black neighborhoods, nothing nothing else will matter. Right. And so we have to ask ourselves, why why are we not working more closely together in, in 2022? Like, we all know each other. We all cool. We, we we talk shit. We make phone calls, and a lot of it's only when we need each other, right? What 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 happened to what the mandate of working together, where we where we have a common foe, we have a common a common understanding around some common values, and and and, and this is because this is what ca- like capitalism is more is more than just an economic philosophy. It is it is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle that we take in, where again, um, it feeds our ego. Again, when you're talking about oppressed people, you know, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. talked about it very clearly where he said to be oppressed is to feel ashamed. And um, you know, to, to to make my point, you know, think of back when you was a child, when you had to run wear, you know, the hand-me-downs, the, the clothes that was passed down from your big brother, or your big sister, you know, that was passed down, or you went you went to the the mom and pop shop. Instead of Jesse, uh, JC Penney's, or or you may move it up to Kingsway, right? You know when there, when there was a Kingsway and going and getting some clothes, versus when Foot Locker came out, right? This this impacts the human spirit, and we still we still held captive to that to this day, and we have no ability to structure. What or, or, I mean, we, we have not developed the structure of what leadership looks like. We have not developed what values look like. So people just can't, because you, you go to a protest and tomorrow you're you're activist. You go to a protest and tomorrow you're, you're a leader. Like, that cannot be the standard. We have to create more opportunities to be able to train, be able, to be able to develop, to be able to question, be able, to be able to um, assess individuals to versus just parachuting in and determining what things are, are in our community. Because if we don't do that, we're going to continue to be uh, scattered, right? We, we have to stop be allowing folks to persuade us into saying, uh, putting all our eggs into the basket of voting. Like voting is, all. Like our ancestors didn't die for the right to vote. I repeat, our ancestors didn't die for the right to vote. Our ancestors died for the right to be free. And they saw voting as a tool in, in that opportunity, right? And we have to examine how we how we've engaged in that process. I'm not saying we shouldn't engage, engage in it. I'm saying we have to create a philosophy. We have to create a methodology. We have to create a strategy of how we want political change through of engaging electoral politics. Because now you you have in the, in the, or you we've always had individuals for the most part who come in. Who come in and say, I want your vote. Will you vote for me? I'll do this and I'll do that. And we vote for them. And we vote for them. We vote for them. And when they get in, they do the opposite. Because one, we, we have not created a, a tangible accountability between them and us. But on the other hand, there's accountability between them and the corporations that they're supporting. To be more exact, the white corporation. So, again, these are the things that we have to design, right? Um, Mayor Coleman Young, we all love him. We all adore him. But rarely, rarely do I hear people criticize Coleman, and, and there's a lot of criticism that he deserves. I mean, one like when we talk about the tax abatement, right? Coleman Young helped usher the tax abatement that, that we see nowadays in the city of Detroit. But you know, putting that in context, right? Coleman Young becomes the first the first uh, mayor in the city of Detroit, becomes the second mayor, black mayor in the state of Michigan between uh, after Art Art Blackwell and, and Highland Park. So can you imagine So uh, Unpacking and getting into the dynamics right? Can you imagine you know, Comey, Comey becomes the first black mayor in, in, in the late 70s Coming to the 80s he goes to a democratic party We'll, 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 we'll uh, Safely assume and say At that time and we'll say By 83 by he's at a conference A democratic conference There's probably about 20, 20 Other black politicians Everybody else is white I repeat, every other politician in this room is right. Do you think because they're so-called Democrats, are they truly and really different than the Republicans? Right? So Coleman Young and others are left to deal deal or, or play the cards that was that was dealt with. Them, dealt the hand that was dealt to him. I mean again, this is the context. That we don't have, we don't we don't examine, but we just get happy that we, oh we elected Comey Young. You no know, Comey Young would say motherfucker. You know, come you know he 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 was uh, a very charismatic. He was a very popular people's type of person. He comes out of Black Bottom. He he had all the things right. But what was missing? The black slate that helped get Comey Young elected and so many other black politicians elected is no longer what it was. The black community is no longer. What it black or black Detroit is no longer what it was in terms of the cornerstone of the black movement, the black organization. Styles Shakur said, if we're not growing with our movement, we're not growing with the people, we're ultimately dying, not just physically, we're dying mentally. And this death becomes as a result of not continuing to examine these these circumstances of social conditions that are changing. So, you know, fast forward. We've had so many black folks leave Detroit, black Detroit. Nowadays, I mean, and I'm talking about the hood. And what's crazy, you got more white people living in the hood than you, than you have of so called educated black folks, so called uh, you know, black folks who have good jobs. And we have to we have to examine that situation. I understand it. I mean, some of it's a level of assimilation, and some of us, it's so much pain, it's so much trauma that can, that comes with walking down Ferry Park, that comes with walking down Linwood, that comes with walking down Mac and Bewick, that it make you cry. But we cannot heal what we're not afraid to confront. We ha- it's okay to love black people. It's okay to be black. It's okay to love us. It's okay to be who we are. I mean, I'm not saying be so black that you black yourself out. Repeat, I'm not saying you be so black that you black yourself out. I'm saying that you be so black that you love your black self, that you love your your black brother, your black sister. You love the the black person who who may have a different sexuality than you. Right? You love like is there's no way in hell when you come back to the black neighborhoods, what we now know as black hoods, like this cannot be. The norm. The self-destruction. So many abandoned schools in these black neighborhoods. You know, we all should have a, a, a psychological examination of our minds because what it, it will help us realize the impact of, of what we see and what we experience. The internal scars that's on our hearts that we carry individually and collectively. So for us to move forth uh, liberation, I mean, uh, from a leadership standpoint, to be able to achieve the type of justice, to be able to build the type of uh, access to opportunities, to even to, to, to maneuver economics, right? I mean, so... To understand those things, we have to have a collective framework. We have to have a collective value system. This does not mean that we all have to like each other. This does not mean that we all have to go to the parties and drink together. No, what this means is that it creates a standard, it creates a criteria for accountability and how we move. No longer can individuals, a big, you know, the big black man that's charismatic, that's six fold uh, you know, talking good, looking good, cannot no longer just come in and tell us what the fuck we think we want to hear. That shit doesn't work. The, the black woman that, that comes in who has a degree from the, from the University of Michigan or, or Wayne State or wherever can't just come in talking all educated and just, just sell us a fucking dream. The black LGBTQ person just, come in, can't, just can't come in and say I suffer because I'm black LGBTQ that have a have a right to, be, to move up to the, the, uh, the top of the food chain. No. We have to create a criteria that governs black bodies. Whether you're a black man, whether you're a black woman, whether you're a, a black LGBTQ, or you're a black child, and how we function within co- collectively, and to, to zero in like we have this buy black campaign. Theoretically, it makes sense, but practically, many of us question that. You know, again, if, if you come to to, the, to Mama Cool House and you're just purchasing from here, and, and there's no matrix or there's no system put in place that. This money is going back into the black community. It's going back into black families. So we just assume by supporting a black business that it that it benefits or the money uh, recycles without the commitment or developing a system for that? Like we, we can't make that type of assumption in today's time. We have to demand more of ourselves. We cannot continue to exclude our political framework, our economic thought process, our social behavior And putting them in individual boxes. That that is not the African way. We are communal people. We are communal. That's that's how we function. So we have to function that way economically. Politically. Socially. Educationally. Culturally. But to do that we have to understand who we are. So the question. As we get close to wrapping this up is. What are you reading? What are you studying to be able to understand how to be black? One of the most powerful books that I read. Was enemy class of the races. You know, this is a brother, I believe, yeah, you know, he was born here in Detroit, Haki Booty. And what was so powerful about this book, he 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 examines you know, the black perspective from black from, from black lives and the ability to be able to define who our enemy is, whether whether it was a white person or a black person. Because black people can be our enemy. But we had to develop a system, how do we deal with our enemy? And fundamentally around economics like everybody and mama got to go fund me up me now everybody everybody their mama try to raise money why because money is a tool we all need money but I, the question is and it's been a question that we all been trying to figure out can we bring 10 people together can we bring 20 people together can we bring 100 people together that say for a year we're going to donate whatever i can and create create a, 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 a fund because fundamentally if we're not funding our own organization, we're not funding our own change. We're always, we're always going to be defeated. Why? Because those who control the money will ultimately determine the process. Those who control the money will ultimately determine the process. Right? So this is the myth of the black dollar. Because at the myth of the black dollar, we're going to re- realize the black dollar is nothing but a consumer dollar. Right? None of us are sitting around with with, with a big bank. But can, can we shift and transform? Absolutely. We have to sit at the table and, and commit ourselves. And we have to transform our thinking, transform our values. So again, we're going to support this black business. But this black business is going to support the black community. We're going to, we're going to take wherever we work at. We're going to commit to, to creating a fund for supporting black people. Because fundamentally, right now, as I opened up, no, we're in the worst of times. But the worst of times have always been the best of times for us because we it, it made us raise, rise to the occasion to love each other, to support each other. I can tell you all the great shit I've done as an individual in black Detroit, but it don't mean shit. Why? Because it's an individual. It means greater when we can bring our, our, our accomplishments together. When we can work to accomplish things together, again, I know I can be rough around the edges. I know I can be narrow-minded at times. I know I can be bullheaded at times. I see a shit a certain way, right? And I and I've reconciled and resolved a lot of those things. Because at the end of the day, that's what transformation is about. But there, there's a value system that I that I uphold, and I think people find that complicated because. It makes them question their own value system. Money would never determine our relationship. Money would never determine my relationship to black people. How you love and how you respond and how you're educating yourself and how you're committed to black people always determine how we operate and relate to each other. That's what's important to me, right? I don't need to be the leader of shit. Why? Because I know my mission is to be a servant. I'm, I'm content in my heart to be the leader of who I am, to be the leader of my family, to be the leader to provide for my son, to be a leader to be an example for my community. That's what leadership in, in that sense means to me, but also understand the accountability to my community, to building in those things where Yusuf is just no longer just a thumb. He's just no longer just a wild individual, just out doing whatever he wants to. That's the perception. But the reality, yourself is tied to a community. That's why we named the the, the house at the Mama Cool. We have and we, and we engage other people to help in this process. And so this is the legacy, right? The legacy of being black and being in Detroit is to figure out how do we work together, how do we uh, produce politicians that's going to be committed to Black Detroit, to Black the Black folks unapologetically. How do how do we create an economic structure? That no, that no longer exploit us, where where we it's it's being tokenized through a social justice framework, where where we're challenging white people, repeat, we're challenging white people to use their whiteness in, in service of black people, where where we're no longer just letting the bodies, black bodies and white bodies, just continue to just move in Detroit because it's a new hotbed, and they move to the top of the food chain, and now they determine what shit looks like. You know, we we we're, we're challenging the old guard the old guard of motherfuckers that've been in leadership positions 30, 40, 50 years and they don't want to relinquish shit because they they're getting paid off this shit, right? We have to there's there's a lot of tough questions we have to ask ourselves. And there's tougher decisions that we have to make. And in that, it's probably going to cause a lot of more suffering. But through that suffering, it, it'll create a better world for ourselves, particularly for future generations. Thank you, said Bunchy, you sure? Bunch, Black Detroit. Yeah, so, again, I mean, in talking about those things, again, leadership in Detroit right now, it's, it's chaotic. It's, it's chaotic in the sense of, you know, the ground level of Detroit leadership. I mean, you have folks who are doing what they think they're doing, and you can't knock them. Um, you know, you salute them, but, I mean, fundamentally, like I said, like, what, what have you read? What have you studied? Who Who, who have you sought out to learn from? You know, just just that is just showing up. So again, yeah, housing—we know housing has always been a problem. It's more of a problem now. I um, again, as in, and that's tied to economics. More important is tied to opportunities. And so all the, all these things are without having those things, it, it escapes justice. Justice can cannot occur. But to I get to get to access to all these to, to the opportunities, to re reframing the the economics, to achieving justice, to to having education, to establishing housing. To build in leadership, we have to overstand our legacy, and that's what I've been talking about. The legacy being black, the legacy of our aunts, our elders, and um, but also like we. The goal is not to try to be our grandparents. The goal is not to be try to be those who came before us, but to learn, and but also, we have to have a commitment to Black Detroit unapologetically, and and that's what's missing. But when we just can't have people just come up up, up here like when they shouting Black Power. Like, uh, you uh, raise your hands. What what does black power mean? Raise your hand. What, what do you do you live in black Detroit? What what neighborhood do you represent? What community? You know, you just can't c- c- just parachute in. You know, most just can't get get in front of us, you know, talking pretty and sounding and all educational, intellectual, but empty than the motherfucker around values, empty than the motherfucker around love, empty than the motherfucker around commitment, empty than the motherfucker around dedication. That, that that is actually afraid of the people. You cannot love and serve the people you're afraid of. You cannot be a puppet for the establishment. I'm not saying we can't have a working relationship, with them, but it has to be on the terms of those who have the least of. It has to be best based uh, based based upon this fundamental question that I just um came across a book I was reading. I'm currently reading about the Institute of Black uh, of the Black World, and they asked this question. Is it in the interest of black people? And whatever we do, we have to ask that question. Is it in the interest of black people? But we have to go deeper, because again, some of us are so slick. We can answer very sophisticatedly. What what people are you connected to? What neighborhood are you connected to? What other organization? This is part of the, the new demand. You no longer can just work by yourself. You no know, longer just be egotistic um, and, and just running out just saying, "We doing this." You no, know, we 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 doing the work. We have to define these things. We have to. This is how we create the accountability to be able to reshape and redefine and move ourselves where we where we can address the housing conditions and where people are are li- losing their houses every day. And as they're losing their houses, others are coming and buying it for dirt cheap. And so this again, this is tied to economics. Uh, as you and I was talking yesterday, Kari, and there, there there's no banks that's gonna ultimately, you know give me, you and I a loan. No, they might give us one today, but you know, 10, 5, five, six years ago, they was they wasn't giving us loans. And there's a lot of us who who are still not given the opportunity to get that right. So why are we not creating those things? Like, again, if that's a problem, the solution is we we save our money up. We 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 contribute to that right. But get, that has to. We have to we have to address the self-hatred in ourselves to address these issues of leadership, of housing, of education, of justice, economics, access to opportunity. And it comes out of our legacy. And more importantly, we have to examine these social justice organizations. We have to hold them more accountable. We have to demand more of them. They just can't come in and tell us what what they what they want, what we want to hear, because in these organizations, they, they put individuals that look like us that, but are, don't relate to us, don't have the commitment and the passion. We're now become exploited. So it goes back to our legacy to be able to achieve and put the black Detroit in the position that it needs to be.
0: All right. So now I'm going to just shoot some questions your way uh, related to this. Um, you spoke on leadership and housing. Uh, What role does education play in Black Detroit today moving forward uh, as we think about everything that's happening with the students? What role does that
1: play? I mean, first of all, we have to unpack that. And I'll be quick and brief. In unpacking that, there's two forms of education. There's the external education. Then there's the um, internal education. Anybody get a chance, Google or go to YouTube and Google. Dr. Bobby E. Wright. He wrote this book, "The Psychopath Racial Personality," and there, there's a, he, um, the brothers with the ancestors, now. But in his, in this, this lecture, he does. He 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 talks about prior to him going off to college, and college became a tool. He received his first education, as they say, you receive your first education from your home. So, and we know the dynamics in our homes are fucked up in a lot of them. So, again, like, we have freedom schools. We have to create those new opportunities to be able to re-educate our minds. Like, so, if you educate me, if, if, if I don't know who I am, I go off to Wayne State. I go off to U of D. Mercy. I go off to Michigan State. I go off to University of Michigan. When I come out of those institutions, what interests do you think I'm going to serve? I'm gonna serve the the interest of what that institution has cultivated in me through that education. So if I don't have a black education to be able to take that other education that I'm giving to know how to wield that into serving black people, I become a puppet and a pawn against my own without even realizing. To, to give an example, I have a degree from Lane Community College. I have a degree from the University of Michigan Dearborn. I have a degree from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and I'm currently working on my PhD. But prior to any of that, I've had my first degree in black education, which has taught me how to use all those other degrees to serve black people.
0: All right, in that same zone, uh, the next question I have justice. Where does justice stand today when we are thinking of what's happening with black Detroit? I mean, we have to be careful. And what
1: I mean by that, we had to define justice from a, from a radical and revolutionary standpoint because we, we're suffering from what W.E. Du Bois talked about, or wrote, wrote about, this double consciousness of being trying to be American, being African, or being black. So give an example. in, in the Floyd, uh, what is it, Floyd, uh, George Floyd? George Floyd. The individual was convicted, right? And we, we, we're celebrating that. Why are we celebrating that? Because so many others have not been convicted. But what, what we don't understand is the trick. that Here's how they trick us, right? They're, they convicted him, but how many others of us that will be convicted later on? And then, so this is the, the slippery slope, right? Because ultimately, those of us who are in the abolitionist work of anti prisons, anti police, now because of the pain and the hurt. And that we want some form of justice. Like, we have to truly define justice not just based upon emotionalism, not just based upon uh, revenge. Justice has to be radical. Justice has to be transformative. Justice has to be about serving, along with also
0: accountability. All right. We we spoke a little bit on justice, and you've already touched on economics, but um, when we think of economics today, In the black community moving in 2022 what consciousness is best to have when we think about sharing because the resources of economics as you talked about money uh usually controls who who will uh we we submit to that but um what other resources should we be looking for to pull from to build on to to build upon in black detroit so that we can sustain our own communities Built from that Kuji Shakalia of self-determination. That's a
1: great question. And part of that is here's another book, Collective Courage. In this book, it talks about cooperative economics. It has been a lesson, has been a, it has been a lived experience of black people. As I repeated earlier, we are a communal people. There's there's so let's let's so let's take the the concept of, that so many of us have embraced. Entrepreneur entrepreneurship, right? So, which means you have a business, I have a business. By, by the definition of it, we're, we're in competition of each other. Why? Because you're trying to survive your business, I'm trying to survive our business. But when we take entrepreneurship and we, we put it in a, in a cooperative bucket, repeat, the key word, cooperative, meaning that we have to be uh, cooperative with each other. But this goes back to what I talked about earlier. The va- what other are the values going to determine? It just It just can't be about money cuz again if it's about money what we know historically we ultimately fall out why because at some point you know your pie may be bigger than my pie and this is where values addresses the greed in the greed in us this is where values addresses the ego in us and so so and part of this we had to fundamentally like like there there's this concept of so just hy- hypothetically there there's a uh, there's people who are doing work around houses, like you have your house with the Detroit's different. I have the Mama Cool house. Quasi has the um, the garage and the shed, right? A couple of other people, and we're all uniquely different, and we created a banner for us to work together, how to coexist. We're creating a collective uh, counter. We're we collectively fundraising. We're co- uh, and we we collectively the money. So, the the social capital, the political mindset that I bring, right? is one section then what you bring it 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 builds up what quasi bring it builds up what section so it builds up right it 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 magnifies our power there's no such thing as an individual power in in, in a global in a, in a struggle that we have and so economically wise we've, we again it's tied to our social it's tied to our education but also what happens is we end up trying to duplicate the same work and sometimes that is not bad. But if it doesn't have a strategy, if it's not governed by a methodology for a particular reason, this is where it becomes bad. Because, again, you have forces on the outside determining how how our movements, how our business should look. Why? Because we're not funding it. And more importantly, we don't have a perspective about being black. We, we, we compromise that. Well, I'm black, but I think I want to help other people. I'm... You can have that, but first and foremost, we have to help ourselves. We have to get us together, right? Because every other, every other people do it. Like, we all question, like, why, why is there so many Arabs or Middle Eastern people that own business, run businesses in the black community, where you don't see this in, black, in, in, in their community? Right? There's something, it's more about, it's, 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 it's not just about economics. It's, it's about a culture. It's, it is about a lifestyle. They're not going to allow that to happen. It doesn't mean that they don't like us. They, they, they're protecting their borders. We have to protect our own borders and be able to create a, an environment that's saying a value in black life and value in black money that is beyond economics, that is willing economics to serve black people. So, so part of this is institutions. Institutions are not made for black people to, or people to serve them. Institutions are made to serve black people. The same with ideology. Ideology is not developed to serve or for people to serve it. It's for, folk, for it to serve people. And so these are things that we have to come back to the drawing board to question to get a deeper understanding of. All
0: right. And uh, y- you spoke on this. But before we get into the last two, because I think the last two are th- points I really want you to drive home. Leadership. And we see in the, in the comments A lot of people saying uh, Poverty pimps uh, We see comments Cooperative economics and imperialism Can't exist in the same space uh, Different people Dropping gems And uh, definitely appreciating What has been given uh, for freedom fighters And just speaking on freedom fighters mm-hmm. uh, The role of leadership And the role of, of Leading a community of our people In black Detroit today uh what what does that look like what does that feel like uh what what are the things that a person that wants to step into a leadership position in our community of black detroit should be cognizant of how should they be paying attention to the pulse of the people and then keeping healthy in their mind their heart their spirit what what is that what 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 is that essence that that leader should have, and also how uh, in leadership are they submitting to the will of the people?
1: So to submit to the will of the people is to understand that you're part of the people. To submit to the will of the people is to understand that you're a part of the people, that you're a product of the people. To get to go even deeper, right? The issues that we're that we're wrestling with, that we're trying to solve, we're a product of we're we're a product of poverty. Right? And, and and I need to uh, detour just a minute. I remember um seeing in a commercial where LeBron James says he comes from hu- uh, humble beginnings. And there's there's many of us who who take that same concept, right? Because we come from poverty that made us humble. Fuck no. That's that's a, that's a backwards thinking. It's nothing about poverty that makes you humble. Poverty is 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 attack on your your humanity? Because one, we have not been taught to be able to attach. Like poverty is man-made. Poverty is woman-made. Poverty does it just doesn't exist out of the thin air. It's created for a particular reason, and it is attached with black people as a form of anti-blackness. Right? The humbleness comes out of the ability to love each other. The humbleness comes out of the ability to okay, I don't have nothing, but I'm a share. With my, I'm a share. With my brother, I'm gonna share with my sister. I'm gonna share with my friend. I'm, you know, I'm, I know when I came up, there was a rule: if you didn't have enough to get, to share with nobody, you didn't give. Why? Because you didn't you you didn't want to create a discomfort. You didn't want to have somebody feel a less than. And I remember when the, growing up again. Those of my my homies who didn't have, and those of us who fortunately may have had a little more. I would go home and take out of my refrigerator to give or my homie, you know, he couldn't you know, stay at home that night. Hey, I sneak sneaky me and he's sleeping in my room. I mean, these, again, these are the methods. These are the strategies. This is the love that we have for each other. We're, we're, figuring other ways out. And and this is where like so many of us are running from the problems. We have not addressed the, the absence of not having our fathers in our lives and the pain that comes from it. We have not addressed the ill, from the dynamics of being raised by a mother and, and, and the sexism and the patriarchy of the society that caused the pain in her life that and that, and that uh, condemned her and blamed her for the father not being there that made it more heavy on her heart and her mind to be able to raise one, two, three, four children by herself. We have not resolved... The, the pain of a child, whether you're a man or whether you, or, I mean, you're a boy or, or whether you're a girl or you're, or you're either or you, and you're confused about your sexuality or or you, or you think you should be this way but the society doesn't embrace you. Right? We have not resolved that that was within us. So as, as adults, this is what I mean that we run from it. right? And when, and when we go back and heal that, that, that is what has provided me with the leadership that I have. To be able to constantly look in the mirror and look at Jojo, the little boy that was hurt because his father was there, the little boy that was hurt because of what his mother suffered from, the little boy that that suffered from the dynamics of racism, but no one ever taught me the dynamics of racism. You know, the little boy that grew up, and as the business in my neighborhood began to close, my neighborhood began to collapse, the little boy that joined the gang because I didn't have. I didn't feel like I had a family at home, so I found a family in the streets. And when I found a family in the streets, the older guys took advantage of me, physically, mentally, spiritually. Not only me, my homeboys took advantage of the homegirls. This is a recycled behavior that has a root in genocide. I mean, in self hatred that is perpetuating the genocide. And so, going back to Dr. Bobby E. Wright, he developed a term. Menicide. Menicide means the deliberate destruction of a group of people's mind. And once we, we seize our mind, we know how to connect with people. But to connect with people, like those who, those who I truly look up to Malcolm X, Achokwe Lamumba. Right, I mean, I think those individuals, and, and, and mind you, they wasn't complete; they were still a work in progress. But I think they, and we, if we examine their lives, and uh, Ella Baker, a Fannie Lou Hamer, right, um, uh, 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 Audrey Lloyd, right, when we examine these individuals, we we see leadership, but we see their leadership is resulting in loving the people. No, Bunchy Carter, another example. He said, I'm, my, my judgment of, of, of in, uh, recruiting you was determined by how much love that you have for the people. So as, as an organizer, your love came out of you come from that environment. If you come from that again, Kari, why, why, why would I send you on time, and you off Davidson? Go on Davidson, bro. You know all the people. You know the liquor stores. You know the gas station owners. You know the, the the little homies over there. Go organize that, and then as you get get experience, now I'm, now we'll send you on time. Now you have a model. Now you have a framework that you can go do. And that's every like people who reach out to me like how how can I duplicate this in my neighborhood? Well, come and get a taste of it. See how because it, it's it's more than just you no know, of, of of buying backpacks. Because in the, in the early process, the first event, major event that that. I helped organize which ultimately which turned into the back the backpack event was a school drive. You know, we only got like 20, 30 people that came out. We only had like 20 or 30 people that came out. I was discouraged. I was hurt because again, you know, you think people going to come out and, and grows, But sitting through that pain, sitting through that hurt and realizing like people they knew me as JoJo. They didn't know me as Yusa, But now People can't even. Some of the people can't even pronounce my name. But they talk about the backpack event. They talk about the Mama Cool House. They can talk about the Urban Network, right? And, and and vice versa. Because the work is when we make the work about our individual sales. See, that's a failure in our leadership. We have too many so-called leaders. repeat, so-called leaders where the work is about themselves. That's what capitalism does. But also, we we have to stop, of being so quick to call somebody a leader. Like, because the definition that we're giving as a leader may not be your definition but again if you sit there and you examine the history of individuals their their flaws the good I mean like Elijah Muhammad like okay Elijah Muhammad he, he had a thing for, for, for girls for women it doesn't take away for all the other stuff he did right but I can't exclude that so for myself I have to I have to look at myself as a man how do, how do I address that in myself but also address it in a sense of I may be good looking and I may be educated, but also the dynamics of what I do make me more attractive. How do I sit in that power that I I hold that women may find me even more attractive? And and I failed. I failed a lot in that situation because no one taught me how to do it. I had to figure that out on my own. And figuring that out on my own, I had to realize the power that I had as a result of that. Right. And how would I use that power? And we see that every day. And so, and so like when I was in prison, every guy in prison is not reading for transformation. There's some guys reading for manipulation. I repeat, not every guy's reading for transformation. Some guys are reading for, for manipulation. The same shit that we see in politicians. Right. Because they saw it as a form of power. The fact that most guys on on the, on the yard was ignorant. Ignorance is it, not a bad thing. Ignorant only means not to know, but many of us make ignorance a way of life. So the ability to sit here and read this book and read that book, or more importantly, some of the most favorite books, "The Art of War," "Deception of Power," you know, um, th- those books, those very manipulative books, where now you
0: position yourself and things. And uh, <clears throat> as we think about this in leadership, you spoke to it. But also your name, your namesake, Yusef Bunchy Shakur. Right. And, and we're talking about Detroit in the state of black Detroit. But the namesake of Bunchy Carter and what that represents from Los Angeles and organizing with the Panthers, but really the community. Can you can you share with us why that namesake, what Bunchy Carter represents to you when we think of that leadership that you speak to? That's a great question, and, and, and I think that's
1: important at this time because it, it really uh, summarized everything I said. Right, so in the African tradition, you know, I ask, that's, why we, that's why we call on our ancestors because they just don't die. They live with us. They live amongst us. We call their names. So selecting and, and selected name Bunchy was to, to see Bunchy continue to live, and he does in other spaces, but also to do my part. But more importantly, when I learned about Bunchy, again, so going back to that humble, the being humble. It's nothing unique about me per se. Uh, I'm part of a unique experience. That experience includes a Malcolm X, includes a Bunchy Carter, includes a San Yuki Shakur, includes a Claude Brown, meaning these individuals who've, who've come out of rough situations, find themselves in prison and transform their lives. They're lies. So I I reasoned in my mind, shit, I had relived Bunchy's life all over again. Because why? Because I didn't know Bunchy. I didn't know the opportunity to transform my life, how Bunchy did. So I, I was already on that path. I was already transforming myself. So this, this took it to another level. But also as my father taught me, when we take on a, a new name, every time you hear your name, you hear the meaning of your name. There's the part of the accountability, the personal to myself. So when I'm out here, you sell Bunchy Shakur. It means something. How, it's a reputation to that name. That I, I don't want bullshit to be associated with that name. I want love, I want passion, I want commitment. But also part of my name, my whole name means honorable soldier, thankful to God. Right? But also again, so like Bunchy represents the L.A. Panthers, but Shakur represents the East Coast Panthers. The, the Shakur tribe, uh, Astada Shakur, lamumbo Shakur, Zay Shakur, Matulu Shakur, and their father, uh, Saladin Shakur. Right? So... And people ask me all the time, like, when I hear the national core, like, are you are you kin to Tupac? Like, not not physically, not by blood-wise, but we, we're kin and struggle-wise. Because, again, that name, we all adopted or, took, or taking that name as a commitment, as a, as a sacrifice to understanding that we're sacrificing who we was to be who we are to fight for the liberation of black people. So that's why, you know, combining that, but more importantly, like, Bunchy was a bad, bad man pajama. I mean, I'm not trying to be Bunchy, but I'm being Bunchy in my own way you know, combining, like, there's, there's a lot of similarities. And again, being humble, like, being, the humility of it is like, I'm walking his footsteps and I'm creating a pathway by connecting those
0: dots. So tell us the story of Bunchy and uh, how you interpreted that and how that inspires you as you look to an ancestor for leadership.
1: Um, so, I, so I remember reading This Side of Glory. It's a book written by uh, David Hildred. David Hill was the chief of staff of the Black Panther Party. Bunchy will be considered, what we would consider culture. Bunchy was educated, uh, formally and unformally. And he was a great speaker. And Elger, he struggled with speaking. And Bunchy told Elger, like, hey man, no, you, you're, you, you can do good at this. Just focus on what you know not what you don't know. And when I read that, that was very, very powerful and impactful to me. So even as we celebrate Kwanzaa, and those of us don't, some of us know the story and some of us don't know. And so I think we'll be remiss if we didn't mention this. the Bunchy Carter and John Huggins was assassinated at UCLA in Los Angeles by, by folks who, who appeared to be members of the US organization, who, who leader at the time was Ron Karenga, who, who we associate uh, Kwanzaa with. So there's this split, there's this divide in in the black community. Those of us know, but also uh, be remissive as well. The 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 torture that Ron Karenga had perpetrated on some sisters, like those things are are still lingering, even though some of it has been resolved in some some circles and shit. But in "Taste the Power" written by Elaine Brown, she talks about like um, somebody, you know, some some rank and file members again, because because they had not totally transformed themselves. They're they're engaging this this feud between the Orsa organization and the Black Panthers, where they they did something to um, uh, antagonize Ron Carango and his organization, and they responded to Bunchy whatever. And Bunchy pulls up on on, his, on the members and saying, in a nutshell, like Black people are not our enemy. That we have to resolve this contradiction. And that's that's the again, it's so easy to to fall into being a nigger. It's so easy to fall into this ego thing. Bunchy, Bunchy, again, yeah, his 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 commitment, his love was for the for, was for the people. Like here here was a guy, and 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 through organizers, that they would organize parties, and it was political parties. Again, when I say political, we're not talking about electoral; we're talking about the conscience of building, organizing people. And then at the at the halfway through the party, they would cut the music off, and Bunchy would get up there and recite a poem, and he he would he would recite some other things, right? So. Instead of trying to impose the ideology and the practice of the Black Panther Party, he used the party as a way to introduce it. And i just conclude this, man. Uh, I remember reading somewhere where it, where it said that all, all the women wanted Bunchy and all the men wanted to be like Bunchy.
0: He was a powerful brother. All right. All right, and before we get to the last two, I definitely want to touch back on housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had something very powerful this week leading up to this. Um... You touched a little bit on this. Uh, gentrification seems to be a topic that talks about uh, that, that, that has become a sexier topic, more discussed as time goes on. Uh, what exists? And you definitely gave a great context leading into this and, and starting this speech. Mm-hmm. What is housing? And really, what does residency look like for Black Detroit right now, for the families, for the people looking to start families? Uh, and then let's expend, let's ex- expand even housing to land itself, even for people that want to run businesses or community centers or, or just have spaces to share. Right. What's the importance of that 2022 right now for Black Detroit? So just building
1: off what I, I said in the beginning, there's you know, like four houses that has been a cornerstone of my life. Uh, there was a house on Elmhurst between Livinois and, and I-96. All my, all my grandmothers and her brothers and sisters, like that was that first house. You know, they lived They in lived right around the corner on Tuxedo between the same area. My grandfather owned that house. He still he still owns, he still lives there today. My auntie, um, she when she got old enough and started her family, she moved off on, on Indiana in Puritan. My cousin still owns that house. And then the house he on Ferry Park. Like so ownership of houses is always, when I think back, has always been part of my life. It's always been instrumental. And I think in all of our lives, right? We've gotten away from because of this what like, a oppression. And, and it's so slick that you get you get a you get a good job or you get what you think is a good job, you, and you shift. You lose. We, we lost our our connection to our struggle. We've lost a connection to our legacy. That's, that's a legacy that that's like you can't learn that in school. You learned that right from your family. You learned that from your grandmother and your your uncle and the importance of 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 holding on. And it's something in our minds that has tricked us to. I'd rather live in an apartment. You know, I rather live in these these new fancy places that that I don't own. Again, and this is where you know versus owning a thirty thousand dollars car that runs well to trying to own a hundred thousand dollars car that you're paying a note on, and it makes you look a certain way. So it comes back to self worth. Like we we're, we're trying to have our self worth tied to material things. I mean, even like going to the drug the drug trade, right? You have a guy who who invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in a car, but don't even own the house that he lives in. Don't even own the house that he lives in. Because again, he lost that, that education. So again, when land is essential to freedom. You know, Malcolm taught us land is essential to self-determination. Land is essential to independence. Like land is the only thing they're they not making more of. right? And, and so what they've done, they've tricked us out of it because we've lost and we devalue. The importance of land, and but then there's a few of us doing who still understand it, but they're doing it from an individual standpoint. They're not doing it from a collective. Like so, like people are telling me, like, man, why are you about all this stuff? Because again, I don't want to. I'm not trying to be the man. I'm trying to be a part of a process. Because fundamentally, if you own everything, that means you. Again, that's the problem with the with the king situation. Like everybody has to look up to the king. You no, know, he he or she, but also somebody wants to knock the king off. Because somebody wants to be the next king. So, I mean, housing is part of that that philosophy of helping us understand it, it, it is the cornerstone of our peace. It is the cornerstone of our tranquility. It is the cornerstone of our liberation. The housing also has to transition to the ideology of understanding it is the foundation for a family. It is the foundation for building something. And so if we don't have that, we have what we have now. Scatteredness, confusion, every man, every woman, every person for themselves. And so the ability to be able to, you know, houses in Detroit are still are still uh, relatively cheap compared to other places. And but we we, we 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 have not done like an inventory, like who could who could do carpeting, who could do roofing, who could do flooring, right? But who who's willing to do these things? Not necessarily always for for capital. It could be social capital, and these these are part of these deeper conversations. Because again, if you talk to somebody saying thing like a child, "Hey, what do you want to do when you graduate from high school? I want to go to college." They may not mean that, but that's what they've been conditioned. You talk to a adult like, "Man, I want to own my own house. Where do where do I begin?" And so so we suffer not only from the lack of knowing who we are, but the lack of knowing how to operate within the system and uh, how there there's uh, resources out there but we they're not they're they're coming in our communities uh, scarcely of how to utilize those and, and by the time we learn about it it's too late or or we're not sharing it with each other so it's so many dynamics to it but i think um, to your other part of your question like we have to transition how do we we reposition ourselves how do we see, we see do business and things so like, I would have never dreamed in a million years to turn a house into a community center. It's not the first time it's been done. It's been, but for me, the aha came, like, why wouldn't I want to do that, right? But also, I think we have to begin to, to create opportunities to with with the housing market still being what it is in Detroit. Like, hey, let's purchase. Let's commit ourselves to purchasing some of these houses and, and duplicating these community spaces throughout the city of Detroit, but also creating... Like, people are still buying houses, but they try, they're trying... They're, it's a hustle. They're, they're doing... Um, they're allowing people to stay in them. But are you genuinely trying to, like, ultimately turn the house over to the person to own? And now all that shit comes back to values. And I think we have to question what our values are. That will help determine, you know, how we serve people. Because all this shit is nothing but a tool. The car we drive, the house that we live in, the clothes, the money, it's all a tool. Are you... I mean... As they say, the old folks say, "You you can't you ain't taking that shit in the casket with you." So, how are you utilizing that to help other people, but also helping yourself?
0: All right, and uh, now we get into two of the strongest pillars from this that I definitely wanted your perspective, and I'll be looking for feedback from others as well. Um, I definitely want to touch on access to opportunity yeah. and what does access to opportunity look like for Black Detroit? Why is that important? And and, and how do we embrace what is an opportunity for Black Detroit?
1: Um, I think the access to opportunity comes out of the access of relationships. We have to build, we have to build better relationships with each other. And I'm not talking about personal relationships. I'm talking about business relationships. i um, just talking about uh, across different lines. And then the relationship doesn't mean you have to like someone. And Because out of that, it, it, creates, it creates greater opportunities. But also, more opportunities comes out of what you do for yourself. The more I began to change how I thought, the more I began to change how I behaved, even when I had less money, even when I had less resources, opportunities began to open up for themselves. Um, give an example. You know, fast forward to now, there's folks who say, man, hey, Youssef, here's $10,000 that I, I can write a check for you, or I can introduce you to my network. And it's worth fifty thousand dollars. No, this is the option. Here's two opportunities. Which one? Which you know? No, no rush or no pressure. Uh, you know, take your time, think about it. Which one that you want to um, operate out on. of? At one point, I probably would just take the ten thousand dollars and keep it moving, right? Because how often do you see ten thousand dollars? You know, like that, right? But when you look at the fifty thousand, dollars more importantly, the networking again the relationship your net worth has to be determined by your by your your network again repeat your your net worth has to be determined by your network and your network is about building the relationships there's a ton of people that don't necessarily agree with what I say or how I present myself but there's more people that respect me in the consistency and the authenticity right and and many of those folks I'm pretty sure if I came to him and I said, man, I need such and such. Out of that, that has created accessibility to opportunity. But I think there's... The, and, I, and, I, and I'm shifting from staying, like, instead of saying like-minded, like-value. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of like-value people out here. And the difference between like-minded and like-value is, like, you can like me today. I can like you today. But not like your ass tomorrow. Because you might be hanging with a motherfucker I don't like. Or you may get on the podcast and say some shit I don't like, right? I mean, that shit happens all. That shit happens all the fucking time. Or the biggest one, I may text you something, and because how my tone and my text came off, what the fuck did he mean? You know, and, and and now we 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 in this rabbit hole, right? But when you got values. And you're, you're dealing with, from a life value standpoint, it transcends the individual, if I like Kari, or Kari like Youssef, and we going to hang out, we're going to do double dating, you know, all, all, all that little cheesy ass shit, but it's more business, it's more people oriented. And it's more of us that's really out there, but we're so, and this is the dynamic of white supremacy, white terrorism, white aggression, that deception is, oh Kari, you're so great. Oh, Yusuf, you're so wonderful, right? But it it keeps us away from each other. You and I have been fortunate enough. We we are are very intentional with each other. We are very intentional around our relationship. Where We're not hesitant. Hey, Yusuf, I need you for such and such. Kar, I need you. And and it's not predicated on what you do in return. It's predicated on the value system that we have. But I know at the end of the day, if I need something from you, And it's in your wheelhouse, you'll do it. And and, and we're not building enough of that. We're not being intentional. Same thing, I always use the the rap game, for example. A rapper no, there's a party. There's the rapper and there's the producer. And the first thing the rapper says, man, you hot to the muff. I love to rap on your beats. And the the rapper responds, you dope as hell. I would love for you to rap on my beats. And what happens? They exchange numbers. Or nowadays, they exchange emails. And nothing never happens. Why? Because they get caught up in on their individual struggle, and it's only till they re- they run into each other again. Damn, man! I can't wait to rap on your beat. But we ha- we're not being intentional enough with each other, and being intentional enough with each other. And we have to re- redefine what uh, what opportunities are. We have to redefine what access to opportunities are. Again, opportunities is always not the green dollar. The opportunity again. So like. Because cause I'm in your network, you may know somebody, man, I, I I, need to do a show. Let me call you, sir. Youself, on, on June 25th, man, do you got the uh, urban, the, is the mama cool house available? I got my man, Ted X, man. I know you don't know him, but this is my man. He, his resources low, blah, blah, blah. More likely on the strip review, I'm going to do it. And out of that, me and Ted X going to develop a relationship. We, not, we may not become best of friends, right? So, again... And he don't need a sound system. You got a sound system, right? TEDx, all you got to do is get out there, and create some flyers, and pump it up to people, right? And how do I benefit from it? New new people are learning about the mom, the mama cool house. Overstanding, like you and I are on the same page level. Now, there's different dynamics in the struggle, economically, whatever, but we're, we're, we're even, and we benefit from each other by being intentional, of sharing and loving each other. And then also, as, in that same scenario, so say me and TEDx do develop a relationship. And some break down. First person who I'm calling, Kari, I need you to holler at TEDx, man. He on some bullshit. Or, Kari, you sup, man. I met him through you. I mean, I, it's, it's cool to fall out with each other. It happens all the time. But in that process, we have to sit down. What, what, is, it, is it childish? Is it high school shit? Or is it some real shit? Cause I mean, for me, you know, if, if you sold, if you betrayed people, if you tried to, you know, sleep with my woman, you no, know, you stole some money. I mean, there, there's some shit like unforgivable, right? But then, even then, if you push me for the greater good, I'd be in a room with a motherfucker. I cause this with him or her. I mean, and I think these, these are the dynamics that like we, we're not doing enough of. And 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 what happens is. The system, and the system doesn't create itself. There's individuals who create the system, but then there's dynamics from the system. And so, you know, white folks and the people in positions of power, they see see greater good in you than I do. And it's not until later on, and then they scoop you up. So now you're so isolated in that situation that you no longer can be able to work with me in the way that I need you to. Or it may happen to me. Right? But we have to have be more intentional. And by closing these doors, and I've repeated it before, closing the ranks. And like this is a war situation that we're in as a people. And we have to create a strategy. Who was our enemy? How does this work? How does this function? You know, Kari, I, can't, I, can, I can go and, and, and do this presentation, but it'd probably be better that you do it. You're probably the more smooth of us too you would probably have the better intelligence not to say I'm less i mean again, this is the strategy that we have to have in, in my ego can i put my ego aside for the greater good you know to be able to 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 maneuver like that hey and also understanding like the pressure things that that work against us we flip that hey we we may need the sister to go in there to talk right where we may need the brother going. we may need the, the gay one of us, right? But we're we're using these dynamics for a greater strategy because we we like Pac said at one point, which is powerful. When when I embrace my weaknesses, I begin to flourish. When we begin to embrace our weaknesses around us, they no longer can be exploited against us. No longer, so again, Kari, the guy that went to Harvard, Yusuf, the guy that went to the penitentiary, but now. He's, now that I come home I'm getting treated like the guy that went to Harvard and the guy that went to Harvard getting treated like the guy that's on the streets. I mean, this is the trigology of what they do, the old Willie Lynch shit. And, and, and also another part of the struggle and the strategy, they don't always have to know that we're working together. We don't always have to telegraph that. So again, we have to have these private conversations, we have to have these public conversations. Because when, when we show up and they realize, oh shit, because often they're always going to try to divide us or the system itself would do it because many of us ain't never had shit.
0: Okay. <clears throat> now, in this, I, I'm going to I'm going to be more direct on certain things into how to quantify what this is. And I'm sure that uh, it, it matters in different people. So we spoke a lot about money. But let's let's think on granting. Let's think on money. Let's think on career or job. Let's also think on awards because ac- uh, accolades and, and and compliments also matter. So like the opportunity for granting. If I have an organization, how should I look at that? The opportunity. Let's let's just stop there. Yes. Sir, yes. Sir. If 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 I run an organization, the opportunity on granting comes about. How am I supposed to uh go about this and build in building my organization and stay on the mission and focus of my organization and see this as an opportunity to engage in so my answer is two is twofold um-
1: theoretically the, the from from this standpoint if you if you're trying to just pursue a grant. You know, it's, it's doing the research on it. Uh, what's the purpose? Uh, if you have the nonprofit status already, you apply for whoopity whoop. Right? That's the simple. That's the simple process of it. And the greatest thing of the things that we're talking about. My question at this stage is, because I mean, right? Because most most grantees, first question they're going to ask you who you're working with. You know, who 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 do you have a, a working relationship with? Right. So we've already established that. We're bringing all of us together and say, let's just say, just for the sake of it, is a million, it's a it's a million dollars, right? I don't know the last time you know your neighbor has seen a million dollars. I mean, I mean, like literally just a million dollars. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember last time I They just seen a nearly a million dollars. But how do we how do we create a pie where it comes in? And we divide that, right? How do we get it? collectively? We collect where we're, we're centralizing because ultimately. They they the, the folks who are the grants or who are writing the money, they have to give the money away hands down. So fundamentally they need us. But the problem is we have not centralized a, a, a space where the money comes in to or through an application process where where we're all gonna apply together. Useh Karish and, and, and quasi we we cuz cuz to your next part of the question that you was getting there it's the exceptionalism the accolades and all those things like and there's nothing wrong with accolades per se but it's it's the exceptionalism that breathes into you as an individual so and i know we're not there yet and this is where we this is where i would like for us to get to this is where i where i where I'm pushing myself and pushing others like this is where we we like cuz again I mean right now we, there's 101 um non-profits out here somebody right now that's that's we're in the new year. That's that's a goal of this. I want to create my own nonprofit. So again, business wise, you know, why can't I come up under like again? Yeah, Detroit is different, and just, and just theoretically, I right, just don't, uh, You could create it uh, uh, as a glimmer, but then create a, create another component to it. But that that requires me to trust you. That requires for you to trust me. That requires us to have a real authentic relationship with you. That requires us to really dig, dig deep down and have conversations that we don't do. We have surface relationships, and so until we address those things, then we'll always be like creating these small little big fishes in the neighborhoods, and then people seeing you like, oh shit, I want to do what car you doing, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then all of a sudden they pop up, and you be like, damn. A little little homie, he did it, but it feels a certain type of way because you're like, why why didn't he come to me? Why didn't we do? Because because ultimately, again, this is where the competition comes in. Because now our resources are split. Now the people are divided. Do I? How do I? How do I support Kari? And how do I support you, sir? We can. It's easy. It's been done. But with with people being human in their in their mentality and um the support men split again goes back to likes. No one's functioning from values. They're functioning from personalities. A person like Carrie, because he's younger, he may look to uh, he looks a little different. He has less gray hair. You know, he you know he's he's a better rapper. He doesn't cuss as much. I mean all type of shit goes into this this dynamics or, or, or whatnot. But these are some of the things that we have to anticipate. And 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 again we're not there yet. But we have to figure out how, how to, because ultimately people say, well, I, I don't see y'all working together, right? Well, and there's some truth there, but then also, like, well, you and I, people don't, some people know how close we are. Others don't know how close we are. So, again, how how do we, how do we develop that? And and not to say, like, we have to, we have to relinquish our own entity, our own identity, but create a, 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 a umbrella for our own entity, our own identities to coexist well up under the umbrella so we if we need to go out be our own individual sales we have we're up under one one mission
0: <laughs> and you just spoke on granting, but let's speak more direct to personal job and career. How should a person be looking at job and career as an opportunity right now as um let's just stop there and then we'll go to entrepreneurship next You know
1: I mean as a black person you should ask, you, you should be asking yourself. This job or this career that I'm getting, not only how, how does it serve me, how does it serve my family, how does it serve my community? I mean, that's, that's the, those are literally the steps that, that we have to take, right? Uh, so just say, again, if you, if, you, if you work in that family dollar, right? We know that's a low-end low type of job, but hey... You working in the neighborhood. You can walk. You can walk there. You can catch the bus there, right? And, and so, the ability to be, a, like if you have a community framework, when I so when I mean community framework, you're co- you're accountable to your community. So when when um, we're gonna say Buster, when Buster, you know, the neighborhood alcoholic, the neighborhood crackhead, whatever, he, he, he on he on a bad day, and he in front of the Family Dollar, and he just he he just doing whatever, and people thinking that he's harassing them. You can come out and you realize, oh, that's that's man, I'm worried about. It. I got him. I know him. I, I grew up around him. I mean, he just got a bad thing. We don't need to call the police. No, this is this is again. This is where you you eliminate that dynamic there. But also part of again, you no know, creating opportunities like this so that young man or that young woman they're coming here. They continue. They don't feel trapped as if the family dollar is that is, is their last hope. It, is their 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 only ability to rise above coming here and meeting new people coming here. Um, and, and that 's one reason like I share so much of what I do because it gives it gives hope to other people it tells again to opportunity like i 've been to prison because i've been to prison i don't think i, can, I don't think I can get a, a bachelor's degree i don't think i'm worthy of that damn you got a bachelor's degree you yourself working on blah 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 oh now I can do those things or I want to do those things I mean so this is part of the, the domino effect. That that we have to have, but also you know, creating opportunities of how to work together, creating because uh, yeah, you know, I mean if you don't have a, a broader reality of the of the world, why would you think outside of it? So I mean, like you know, when I grew up in Detroit, I never went to the East Side. I mean, the East Side was like New York. If you dropped me off in that month, I wouldn't know. I would have been looking for the, the big the Fisher Building, like the top of the Fisher Building as my as my North Star, trying to get back trying to get back to the West Side, and so um. And I think that's part of one one way getting back to the other thing of opportunity. We have to expose our horizon of what life is. I mean, that's what this is what you no know, books is. This is what you know going through going to going out and, and experiencing those. I mean like shit, most motherfuckers just ate at churches, ate at Burger Kings. They ain't they ain't never ate at a, a nice restaurant. Don't no don't and then and, and we have to reshape and reframe, like, cause you eat those things, that doesn't make you white. I right. Those whiteness is those things are tied to whiteness because white people are predominantly in this society and they have they have the greatest access to them. But it, it doesn't doesn't make us less than who we are. And because we don't understand the dynamics that prevents us from experience those opportunities and those those luxuries, which is part of being human, it it it, it adds on the racial component too, because everything in America is racialized.
0: And that brings us to. Another component, and you know, uh, definitely, we spoke to this throughout leading up as we get to the close and the last thing, uh, but before there, entrepreneurship. Uh, How should someone look at the opportunity and the access for that opportunity here in Black Detroit for entrepreneurship? So, yeah,
1: entrepreneurship is a very tricky word, right? So, I'm I'm just keeping it. The simple complex is, you know, as you start a business for yourself, right, and you try and do something for yourself. But how, how you, to, to achieve that, you have to be in a relationship with other people. So what, what does that look like? So, so you just can't be, you're being like the Mama Cool House, the backpack event. Everybody look at Youssef, because Youssef is sort of the face of it. In reality, none of those things could have been achieved without all the other people. And I know that. And, I, and I'm like, when at the Backpack event, it was my idea. But when people come to me and say, man, that's, that's, I, I love what you're doing. I repeat, man, you know, I couldn't have done it with, without such and such. I love what we're doing. because So that's what my, and my point around entrepreneurship, we have to understand before we can get to cooperative economics. Like, it just can't be about just money. Like, I just I just want to be a millionaire. All right, you get a millionaire, then what? All right? Because again, because in that, it, it, you, you have a disconnect a disassociation from the customers, the people that you're trying to serve. So fundamentally, if you're trying to run a business, you have to understand how your business not only can it impact you, impact your family, but impact and serve your community.
0: All right. And now comes something big. Um, It's something personal, and it deals with family. And I think one of the biggest opportunities that exists is family and that continued legacy that carries on. So right now, when we think of Black Detroit, how intentional should we be about legacy and thinking of legacy? You spoke on it with the moniker Bunchy, but mm-hmm. even over and beyond. How does that expand? What does that look like? What does that feel like?
1: It's a, it's it's everything. I think if we truly understand what legacy is, then we know that that the individual cannot exist without... Without a framework, without without something that produced it, Um, so like I I mentioned earlier, uh, you you have the Messiah, the Black Messiah, you know, written by uh, Albert Cleese. It's a book. However, you know, it's important. Like again, if you try to do activism and organizing, you need to know about Reverend Cleage. If you're trying to do activism and organizing, you need to Detroit I Do My Dying. You know, reading, learning about the uh, revolutionary, uh, not not Ram, but. um, the League of Black Revolutionary Workers. You know, you need to know about Jimmy and Grace Lee Boss and, so, and so many others. You know. Like you and I know Ron, Ron Scott. You know, Ron Scott was a beautiful brother, very dedicated, highly intelligent. Part of the Black Panther Party, part of the coalition of, uh, against police brutality. Before he passed, like if I as a, as a young whooping staffer, if I just came on the scene and man, you know, I'm new. I'm just out here, baby. Just 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 support me and and just being an arrogant. In that in that way, no one's going to support me. No one's going to be able to relate to me because because first thing people want to ask you, I mean any people that's that's worth the salt, who did you learn this from? You no, know, who did you study up under? Or what did you study? Because this, I mean, all what we're trying to do is nothing new. That's the importance of legacy. Now in the legacy, not everybody's going to embrace you. Again, this is this is nothing new. It's part of life. Or you may you may learn to someone, and you finally meet them. Like damn, he's an asshole. It doesn't. And, but you got to you got to be able to put it in a framework. Though, like he may be or she may be an asshole. No, they may not be an asshole when you learned about. You no, know, because a lot of us we learn through reading or or, or or through word of mouth or whatever, right? And so and also too, and we all we all subjugated to these false perceptions. You know these pad, these pedestals that we put people on. Like we make them bigger than life. And all of a sudden, like, oh shit, this motherfucker is not what I thought he was. right, Or she. And, but I, I think so many of us are so ambitious. And we're we ambitious with our anger. We're ambitious with our rage. That we have not resolved that Like when we see like, oh, ain't nobody doing shit. So I'm going to do it. But we have, to, I, well, we have to ask the question, why do we perceive ain't nobody doing shit? Because in reality, somebody's doing something. We may, one, we may not know what they're doing, or two, they may not be doing it the way we like them. But again, it comes back to the pain. The hurt. Like most most motherfuckers are out here organizing through pain. Most motherfuckers are out are, are here fighting through hurt. You know, they're mad. They're mad because they had no connection to the to, to that generation before them. But they they have not rationalized that pain and that hurt. To be able to understand, and it's part, and that and that's part of the legacy, the pain and the hurt. And it's not always COINTELPRO, Pro, the counterintelligence program. They definitely has a role. But also the, like one thing I, I really appreciate about Pop, Tupac, the pain of his mother being a crackhead. The pain that came from his his mother who was way up here, who fell down here. He is raised in the movement, right? You love each other. You support each other. But no one's there to love. In his eyes, as a little boy, (coughs) his first hero, his mother, there was no one there to love her. In her her darkest hour, there was no one, he he thought, that, that came to pull her out of the light. And there's so many of us caught up in that same pain that Pac had. From from and we we just didn't grow up in the movement directly, but indirectly, right? And and, and we're carrying again. We're carrying that pain. We're carrying that hurt. We we have to somehow you know, transform that pain to hurt. Like anger can spark a, a a a movement. Rage can spark a movement. But It cannot sustain it. Only love can sustain it. Only transformation can sustain it. And I'm not saying that that pass. Like we think love is passive. Love is not passive. Love, love is aggressive. Love is, strong. love is strong. Love is stretching. Love is challenging. Love is critical. Love is asking questions. Love is not accepting just anything. Love is pushing yourself and pushing others to be the best. But love is also willing to, is pushing you to, to separate yourself from the bullshit too. Like we have to rethink and re- reconfigure these terminologies because we're using terminology from other people to determine how we relate to each other, and that's also causing a lot of the chaos and bullshit that goes on. And We have to create a theory, and that's what you know, I'm looking at, exploring what uh, Doctor Bobby Wright wrote in here: the importance of a black social theory. It's how to how to solidify the, the challenges. And the contradictions that we have amongst each other for the purpose of black liberation. And that's where and I think the anger and the pain. And like you said, we all have some level of anger and pain is greater in, in, in some ways. And so we resolve that is 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 going to prevent us from overstanding the importance of legacy. And so le- legacy is not only something that we that we embrace, but legacy is something that we leave. And so what the question, what type of legacy that you wanna leave? But also uh, we, we're too we're too subjective. We're not objective enough, and and, and we're we're too you, YouTube channel watching motherfuckers. We're too taking shortcuts of trying to be like certain certain individuals versus being being ourselves by learning through other individuals and shit.
0: All right, now you spoke to legacy of thinking <clears throat> from a historical perspective, but now let's talk a little bit about family and children and, and building there. Uh, as your son grows, uh, as your sons grow, um, your connection, you, you, you open with the passing of your grandmother. Um, please speak on family and what that legacy is in black Detroit right now.
1: Well, I mean, I think part of that is, you yeah, know, I think most of us don't know or we lost the, the touch of the reality of, of the, trans, the, the, the tradition. You know, this black radical tradition of coming from the South and coming to the North, of, of fighting for, for equality, fighting for freedom, you know, the freedom circles, right? And we, we've got a taste of, of progress, and it, it, it has compl- uh, made us made us complacent and shit. And then we're seeing the bullshit, and we've become angry as a result of the bullshit. And, and the complacency and the anger together is not, it's not a good mix. It's like mixing oil and water. So, again, fundamentally, my legacy starts with my grandfather, my grandparents, you know, who comes from the South, who migrates up here because of their, their, their parents, right, and my, you know, part of the legacy, again, I, I don't embrace Zone 8 because of the gang aspect that I helped create, I don't, um, it's a neighborhood that I'm associated, I've been fortunate to, associate, to be associated with, because my grandfather purchased a house in the neighborhood, that, that was the first legacy that 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 I was introduced to, which was 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 powerful. Um, the second part of my legacy is you know over the relationship between my grandfather and my mother. You know, him, she being his only child, and she and she her naming me after him. And then the of that legacy, you know, my father, you know, meeting my father in prison, and over and, and embracing all the things that he can teach me. So so being. Uh, clothed and all of that. Now my responsibility is to share that with my son, share that with my nieces and nephews, but also help help others realize that and that. So because Youssef core doesn't doesn't uh, come out of thin air. He comes from somewhere. This is you no know, Kari, Kari doesn't come out of thin air. You no, know, I mean when you when people come over and they come to the Detroit different houses. Like I, mean, I lived here. Uh, you know 30, 40, 40 some years old. I've lived here all my life. You know, this is the house that me and my parents grew up. This is the house that my my grandparents grew in, right? Uh, we traditionally, no nobody may live here, but hey, and this is where it's getting. The, like the time has changed, but you, out of that legacy, you 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 maintain that. Like I said, when you walk in the house, you, you see the the uh, the plat of your grandmother and the grandfather, but not. But you you you're doing you're expressing it through who you are. So this is the part of the new legacy. That you're adding on to. Same thing here. Like when people come in, they realize, like, I literally my mother lives down the street. But, um, so, but also like when we was doing a backpack event, you know, down the street at my mama's house. Like, saying, like you saying, I used to invite anybody to your mama's house or to your parents' house and shit. And so so part of that was shifting how we thought. But also, my mother, you know, you know, I joke with her because when I was a kid, my grandfather was like, that lot is yours. So like mine is my lot, but she owns it. So she allowed me to use her lot but then what what happened she started she cooked the food my sister started getting involved like they're not activists they're not everyday activists but and that in that type of environment in that type of uh, setting we created opportunities for them to get involved and so out of that what happens is you know growing up walking walking down the street just going to the to walk into the community house or whatever and the little kid be like, that's the guy that gave me a backpack. Or thank you. Or the kids coming home from college like, hey, I remember you gave me a backpack. or I mean, it's so many things. that like, this is part of the family. Well, because there's the immediate family, but then there's the extended family. We forget about how important the extended family was in the black community. And we have to get back to that. Cause you know when you like you know you're a single mother and uh, or, or a single dad or whatever the case may be and you got to make a run and you can't take the kids with me. Hey, Car, can you watch them or look out for them? we woo or can just go play with Kari's kids? I mean, this is you know this is the type of the kinship that we develop. That again, these, these since we don't have these frameworks or because the hood is what it is, it doesn't it, it doesn't manufacture that type of relationship anymore. You know, when we lived in neighborhoods, hey, uh, Miss Miss Minnie, my mama said, "Can we borrow some rice?" Oh, going going out. Now, this was the importance of a, a Crockett store in the neighborhood. You know, we we the, the money may be short. Hey, go ask Mister Crockett's, Can we can we put some things on credit to to till we get some money? You know, sure. But we not he's not over trying to tax nobody. You know, creating an extortion ring and shit. I mean, these are these are the internal relationships that that is so crucial. That's part of a, in, uh, a family legacy, an extended family legacy, and a neighborhood legacy. That's all associated with, with, with black Detroit, with black folks. All
0: right. Now, as we get to the end of this, uh, I definitely want you to give a close. I want to thank, uh, thank you for, for offering this. And we're going to continue on this legacy. And not just here, we're going to expand. Uh, it's a it's a relationship, as you said, that's in silence. Everything is not so explicit, but a connection between uh, four of the community houses and organizers that would be uh, the four, and, and we're we're an extension of our collectives, uh, along with GMAC, uh, our brother GMAC, Greg McKenzie Shout out to him and everything he does with Molly and also so much of everything that he's doing with Alkebulan Village. Uh, but you no, mentioned Mama, Mama Kwasi. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned Quasi and the Shed Uh, So he definitely is a part of this collective Also Mama Shu uh, When we think of Mama Shamayin And everything she's done with Avalon Village Right in Highland Park Uh, And when we talk about Black Detroit I don't think black Detroit gets blacker than Highland Park. Uh, and that's in my opinion. And it's a stone's throw away from what I'm organizing and what I do. And also, Carolyn Baker and what's happening with the General Baker Institute right on Live Noise in a historic place. When we think of the maze printing press, uh, but the organizing that's happening there and right here where we are in Mama Akua House uh, in zone eight with Yusef Bunchy Shakur and the space that I run, the uh, Detroit is Different Incubator space, uh, which is expanded to a lot of studio and that's what the detroit is different community group the 501c3 what we're starting but we're going to keep building upon this address and along with this address myself and yousef will offer more content connected uh we haven't had a name yet but uh it will be more topical it will be more urgent of what's happening not just in black detroit but black america in an in international perspective uh we will be doing more and detroit is different we'll be doing more with the vegan tuesdays that happen here at mama cool house so 2022 is an expansion year for detroit is different it will be stretching out for mama cool house and our collective uh the community movement builders more so for community if you have ideas uh like i say creativity culture community those are the pillars of what detroit is different is run under and i have an ear for anyone connecting in that so uh That's my piece before your close. You can give your closing statement. Also, uh, for everyone that's given throughout this, uh, who's watched and tuned in, who's supported for this campaign. Thank you so much as we uh, get to wrap up the year. This is uh, something big for us. I want to thank everyone that's connected. But uh, now I give back to you, Yusef, and you can close out. I started
1: off... uh you know, acknowledging my grandmother who just passed, you know, knowledge acknowledging all of us who are, you know, especially not currently what's going on with COVID. I mean, I, think I know more people now and today than I did you know, a year ago who had COVID. Um, you know, and worst of times is, is when we've shined the best and we have to figure out how, how to support each other, how to love each other, how to share our resources, everything that's been said. I think that's the cornerstone of, of, of Black Detroit. Uh, we can dig, and, and there's a lot of problems. I'm, not, I, I'm never one to, to shy from them. It's a lot of bullshit. It's a lot of fake motherfuckers. But I think uh, more, more than that, man. There, there's those of us who, who have the potential, who have the the, the network, who have the wherewithal. We just, we just got to find ways to, to work closely together. And like, and we don't. I, know. I, I know. Like most of us, I'm not trying to spend. Um, Ten of meeting to meet i think again that there's a there's enough framework out there that we can borrow from to be able to build what we need to build um i know we live in a day where you, can, you know google hang out it's just so much stuff that you can do nowadays uh, to, to versus the old school organizing but we just have to we have to be better organizers um, we have to be better managers of, of our time but also you know one of the powerful things that we of our tradition, that we've forgotten. Like we, we we don't assess our community no more. We don't assess our neighborhoods in terms of what what, what are we missing. And so, little Billy's gonna. We need a doctor. So little we we've trained and we we've coached little Billy up to be the doctor. We we, we need a judge. You no, know? so so Susan's going to be the judge. I mean, these are these are some of the f- uh, pillars thinking that has to take place, but. It has to be centered in what I'm working on, and what am I will be working on my PhD was the, this black liberation paradigm through this black social theory of got, creating a governing body to address the contradictions between black men and black women, and black LGBTQ um, between older and younger, between different organizations, between light skin, and dark skin. I mean, all the same vices and, and social ills that. was perpetrated and imposed on us to cause confusion are still here today. But despite that, we're we're, we're raising above that. So, again, a new year, new opportunities. Um, I mean, again, to show the worth and the value. You know, Kari, you know, Detroit is different what he's doing. Hey, you know, a part of our social capital, I need you to do this. Bet. It's easy. Like, supporting and supporting and supporting him is supporting me. And supporting him is supporting me. Like, that, that's that's simplistic. And along with our, our other folks, why? Because beyond, uh, he's a genuine guy that I like. That we, we we there's a value system that we that we operate. And our values, you know if we really roll them down, they probably some of them are the same. Some of them may be may be different. But fundamentally, we both operate from a value system, right? We are both willing to 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 be the thumb in the room, to be the elephant, to ask the tough questions, um, not try to go alone to get alone. I mean, and that's that's when you when you get about it, being a leader, I think that's a fundamental thing about being a leader that, that questions the housing situations in, in, in Detroit. You no, know, again, you no know, centering those, if we're not centering those who who have the least of us, then what what, what is for? Because democracy doesn't stop, 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 start at the top, it starts at the bottom. In the education, if we're not if we don't receive our education of what it means to be black and how to love our black selves. Any other education, we not, not service. Uh, and and, and not, without having that type of education, we'll always be be. Uh, Searching for justice from someone else Justice has to come out of The reorientation of who we are the, the, the commitment of loving ourselves Which will govern the type of economics That is serving and putting us first For the quest for black liberation Black economics have to serve black uh, Liberation And out of that, that creates the access to opportunities And, and it's wrapped up In the legacy That, we, that we've um, inherited And the legacy that we're trying to build And pass on